All right, so let's get into 1 Samuel, because in 1 Samuel, uh, uh, Brian mentioned it already, that in 1 Samuel chapter 20, um, we kind of get the official moment where the, the David becomes a fugitive from King Saul, and, and then for quite a few chapters into the future in 1 Samuel, we'll see David fleeing from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. And uh, just, to, just so you guys know, like this, this week is going to be our last week in 1 Samuel for a while. Um, because uh, next week, Freddie from the Czech Republic, he's going to be pre- here. Um, the guy that we, um, he's the co- co-worker with, what, the guy that we support over there. He's the one you've seen on the videos talking about the Ukraine work that they're doing. Um, he'll be preaching here next week. And then um, during, this, during July and August, we're going to be spending time in Second Timothy. And as a church, we're committed to the scriptures. I think you, if you've been here for very long, you'll know that. Um, we're committed to the scriptures. And part of like, being committed to the scriptures is, is like equipping and giving opportunity for other people to open the scriptures. So this summer, we're going to be spending time in Second Timothy. It'll be a fun time as, as you're hearing from other people here in the body, opening God's word to you. And then I'm open to opinions about how and when to go back to first. Uh, into First Samuel, but we're as of right now, this will be the uh, end of First Samuel um, uh, for the rest of this summer. You know what we're going to see in this text. You know, last week the, the text that Eric preached, you saw that that. Um, that David was concerned that King Saul wanted to kill him. And so Jonathan went and talked to Saul and Saul had sworn to David. It's in chapter 19, verse six. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul vowed as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. Like Saul himself swore this vow before God that he wasn't going to kill David. And then just a few verses later in chapter 19, he sends assassins to stake out David's house so that it could ambush him and kill him in the morning. Like Saul's word meant very little. And what we find out is that David's wife, uh, David's wife last week uh, somehow found out about the plan, helped David escape. And what we find out at the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1, is that David is still on the run. And what we're, the, today's text is kind of going to break out into three main sections. We're going to see that David's fearful response, fearful request in verses 1 through 11, that he's, he's got, like, he's being hunted by the king of the land, and so he's afraid, and he makes a request of his friend Jonathan. Then we're going to see Jonathan's forward-looking faith. It's this amazing statement about um, coming from Jonathan towards David. And then this, the third we're going to see is Jonathan, like, walking in faithful friendship with David. You know, as we get this kind of deeper glimpse into their relationship, you know, one of the things that we're going to see is that David and Jonathan's relationship was was bound together because of their mutual commitment to the Lord. It was bound together because of their commitment to his purposes. And, and, and what we're going to see is that Jonathan was a completely and uncompromisingly faithful friend to David. And, and even more than that, I hope you see that God is absolutely faithful to us. And so please stand with me as we read. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll get into our text. I'll pray, and then we'll get into our text together. This is God's word for his church. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? And he said to him, Far from it. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. 
But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down and eat with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says it is good, your servant shall be safe. But if he is very angry, then know he is decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why, why then should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, far be it from you, for, I should indeed, for if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers harshly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go to the field. So both of them went out into the field. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your commitment to your word and your commitment to your purposes and that, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And and Father, I just thank you that you are always a God who keeps your promises. And so I just ask that you would meet us here. You've promised that, that um, as we come to you, that you'd empower us with your spirit so that we could um, understand your word. And so I just ask that you would open your word to us um, so that we could understand it, apply it to our hearts, and be changed people because of it. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, so as we get off in verse 1, I mean, you can see it's pretty obvious, like what's going on here is that David's still on the run, and apparently he must have circled back around because he wanted to check in with Jonathan about why his dad's killing him, and you can kind of get an ang- a sense of like David's fear and his angst. He's like, he asked these three rhetorical questions, what have I done? What is my iniquity, and, and what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? doesn't take a lot of explanation. Like David's just confused. He's been nothing but a loyal servant of Saul. And yet Saul is seeking to kill him. And, and as he's speaking to Jonathan, the last time we saw Jonathan is that Jonathan, the last time we saw him was back in verse six when, when Saul swore that he was not going to harm Jonathan, I mean, harm David. And so Jonathan's like, David, David, you're, you're mistaken. Like if he wanted to kill you, he would have told me I haven't heard anything about it, so it is not so. That's what he says in verse 2. David's put Jonathan in this awkward place because Saul swore to Jonathan that David was safe, and yet David, his trusted friend, is, is promising like, no, 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 there's hardly a step between me and death. And so Jonathan's at this place, well, who do I believe? You know. And so what happens is like when David goes in again in verse 3, um, it actually says, David vowed again. So everybody's making these vows, and, these, and they're all swearing to it. They're all putting their hand on the Bible, so help me God sort of stuff. And so Jonathan's like, man, I don't, I don't really know what to do with this. I've got my dad who's promised me one thing, and it's Father's Day, so I should believe him, right? I've got David, who's my friend, so I should believe him, so I don't know. But after David vows, I think Jonathan probably understood, like, oh, both David and Saul have a track record. David's track record is probably a little bit more like trustworthy than Saul's track record. And so what we see Jonathan do at the end of verse, um, in verse four, so Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. He's like, well, I'm not sure, but like, I trust you enough as my friend that, that, um, 
I'll do whatever you ask to try to figure this out. And so David comes up with this plan. He comes up with this plan is that apparently King Saul at the beginning of every month, that's what the new moon is a reference to. At the beginning of every month, he would throw like a party in the palace or wherever Saul was living at the time. And, and it, apparently it stretched out for a couple days. And David, as, as Saul, Saul's son-in-law and also as this war hero, would have always been invited to the, to the party. And so what David's plan is, and you can see that there in those verses, is that I'm not going to show up at the party. And, and if Saul asks where I am, just tell him that, oh, I went home to Bethlehem to, to, uh, to offer sacrifices with my family. And we'll let his response, like about my, me not being there, indicate his heart. If he responds with like anger and and. Uh, animosity, then he says, then you'll know that your father's intention towards me is evil. If he's like, oh, cool, I'm glad that David could go have a good time with his family, then you know like, that his intentions toward me, toward me are good. So that's the plan. But then David, then David says something else. Look what he says in verse, um, verse 8. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Because if you think about this, and like this all seems like mundane details to us when we read this, because I, I think we detach ourselves from the story a little bit. What David is asking Jonathan to do is a, is a dangerous and treasonous game, right? Like Jonathan is the crown prince, and David is sending him into the king's presence to spy out the king's intentions, to lie to the king, and to ally himself with the person who's, who's um, most likely to usurp the king for the throne. Like this isn't, this isn't just like any old dinner party. He's asking Jonathan to betray his allegiance to the king, betray his allegiance to his family, and instead like ally himself with David, the fugitive. That's why he reminds him in verse 8, so deal kindly with me because we've sworn to each other. We saw that a couple chapters ago, that they had entered into relationship with each other and covenant with each other that they would always seek each other's good. So he reminds him of the promise because what he's asking Jonathan to do is a, is a huge ask. He's asking to betray his father, betray the king, and ally himself with David. Then he goes on. He says this. He says, but if there is, verse 8, but if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why should you bring me to your father? What David's saying to Jonathan, and it's really important for us to grasp this. He's telling Jonathan, you know what, Jonathan? I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to keep your word to me. And I'm calling you to do what's right. And if I'm guilty, Jonathan, just go ahead and execute me yourself. There's no reason for you to haul me to your dad. Just execute me yourself. But if I'm not, if I'm not, then I'm calling you to keep your word. I'm calling you to do what's right. And I'm calling you to to ally with me instead of your father, no matter what the cost. It's a huge thing. Because I think, I think we all need to grasp this. It's, it's like super easy to do the right thing and keep our word when it, when it works well for us. Right? Anybody ever been there? But, but think about what Jonathan has to like lose here. Jonathan's the crown prince. 
David's the one that's going to take the crown from his father and end the dynasty that was one king long. And Jonathan, who's a, who is a worthy, would have been a worthy king, is not going to become king. He's going to, he, so Jonathan has every reason to betray David. But here what we find out is that David says, you know, Jonathan, no matter what the forces are against you, I'm calling you to do the right thing and keep your word. It's it's one thing to do the right thing and keep your word when it all goes well with you. It's another thing to do the right thing and keep your word when uh, when it could cost you. And for David, I mean, for Jonathan, it would cost him pretty much everything that we hold dear. It would cost him the affection of his father. It would cost him his throne. It would cost him his popularity. It would cost him his position. And yet what we're going to discover is that Jonathan because of his commitment to the Lord, is going to walk faithfully in his integrity, keep his word, and do the right thing. You know, what what David's asking Jonathan to do is simply something that's just in line with the character of God, because God's character is is one where he's a a God of truth, where he's a God of justice, where he's a God of, like, uh, he has veracity, which means he represents things as they really are. And what David's asking Jonathan to do is like stand on the truth no matter what your father says and make righteous judgment. Kill me if I'm guilty. Ally with me if I'm innocent. In fact, this is what the prophet Zechariah says, what God's talking to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. He says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Do you see all those things that are mentioned there? Speak truth. Like render, like render in your gates judgments that are true. Like make for peace. Don't, desire, don't devise evil. And, and don't love false oaths because I hate those things, the Lord says. That's, that's exactly what David's calling Jonathan to. Regardless of what... Your dad says, Jonathan, his intentions are to do me harm. Her intentions are to do evil. So, so stand for what's true. You know, I think in an age where our age is full of like this constant stream of falsehood, where it's this constant stream of like false judgments or misrepresentation of things and, and division, we need people like that, right, that speak truth that render judgments that are true, that don't do harm to their neighbor, that make for peace. And even though it was going to be costly for Jonathan, that's exactly what David asks him to do. You know, what we're going to find out, though, as as we get into our second point here, is that Jonathan's commitment to David and his faithfulness to David um, wasn't simply because, like, they had a relationship with each other, but it was forged, actually, in his devotion to the Lord and his devotion to the Lord's purposes. And and we get a sense of the the danger here because when Jonathan affirms that he's going to, like, he's going to find out what's going on, David's still a little bit insecure in verse 10, and he says, like, who's going to tell me? Like, how are we going to work this out? Like, he wants to get all the details right right like are you gonna text me email smoke signal you know what is it and then it's interesting jonathan doesn't answer his question verse 11 and jonathan said to david come let us go out into the field so both of them went out into the field like apparently they were in jonathan's house and as this conversation was going on jonathan realized like oh the stuff that we're 
asking and that we're talking about is dangerous stuff. It's time to end the conversation here where there could be listening ears and let's go out into the field where we can see all the way around us. It's like in Survivor, right? Like, anybody watch Survivor? Do you guys know what that is? Really? A few people know what Survivor is, but um, it's a show where it's filled with treachery. And when you're going to be treacherous, you don't, like, stand in front of the whole group and say you're going to be treacherous, right? You go out where you can see around you so you know who's sneaking up on you. And so that's what David and Jonathan do. They go out into the field and... and and uh, for this plan to unfold, but before Jonathan tells David their method of communication, he does something else. He 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 seeks to like to comfort David in his in his fear. And listen, what he said, look what he says, starting at verse twelve. Then Jonathan said to David, "The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness." So now Jonathan's swearing before the Lord, right? When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? And if it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more also if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. So what Jonathan does is like he's, he's trying to comfort David. Like, David, of course I'm going to let you know. And in fact, I'm so committed to this to let you know that I'm going to swear before God himself that if I don't let you know my father's evil intentions, like, may the Lord do that to me. I'm going to incur on me the same judgment and condemnation that you feel, David. And, and then he tells why. And this is really, really insightful. And this like the, the, the amazing thing about this isn't the affection that Jonathan has for David that we'll see. It's not his loyalty. It's his insight into the purposes and plan of God. Because look what he says then at the, at, the second, at the very end of verse 13. There's a series of things here that he says that, that tells David why he's committed to him. Verse 13. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. First thing that Jonathan says is, David... I know that you are the coming king. If you've been with us in our story of 1 Samuel, what, what you realize is that after Saul was made king, the Spirit of God came upon him. And as long as the Spirit of God was upon him, like Saul was able to accomplish God's purposes for his nation. But because of Saul's just like proud arrogance and rebellion, like God's Spirit was taken from him. So when Jonathan says, may the spirit be upon you just as, as, just as it had been upon my dad, what he's saying is that, David, I know that you are God's chosen king. I know that you're the one that his spirit's going to come upon, and I know you're the one that I should be allied with, not my dad. It's a huge statement. He goes on. Verse 14, if, and if I am still alive... Will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? What Jonathan's saying is like, David, after you become king, because I know you're going to become king. Like, I know that you're the one who's going to grant me life. You're the one who's going to show me the loving kindness, like the covenant, faithful love of God. Like what, what Jonathan's affirming is that the life of the kingdom of God and God's covenant faithfulness and love for his people is going to come through David to him. And Jonathan puts his life in David's hands. Even though Jonathan is the prince and David's just a criminal. And then he goes on one more thing. 
And you shall not cut off, verse 15, your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. So not only does Jonathan recognize that David is the anointed king, not only does Jonathan put his life in his hands and recognize that God's covenant faithfulness and love is going to come to him through David, But this third thing is interesting. He recognizes that what God is doing in David is so much bigger than David. Look what he says. He says, God's going to cut your enemies off from where? From the entire face of the earth. Like, there's this this dynasty of David that's going to reign over the whole earth. In fact, it says there when he makes a covenant in um, in verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with who? Not with David. With the house of David. Do you see that? Like, he made a covenant with the dynasty of David because he knew what God was going to go do through David was so much bigger than just the relationship between the two of them. And he made this covenant between the house of David and his house forever. And then the the fourth thing that that happens here is in verse 17. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him. Because he loved him as he loved his own life. You know, I think oftentimes, like, uh, our our relationship with the Lord can just be oftentimes pretty transactional. Well, I don't want to, I feel guilty about my sins, and I don't want to feel guilty about my sin, and so I'm going to come to Jesus, and I experience forgiveness of sins, and then I'm I'm good for eternity. That's true. But what David's doing, what Jonathan's doing here is it's not, he's not just like throwing in with David because he knows David's going to be like the king and because he, because he wants to have a good spot in his kingdom, because he wants to be on the winning side. There's nothing transactional about it. Like what Jonathan's doing here is he's committed to, to David because he loves him as he loves his own self. Like Jonathan's mind and his heart are both unified on the purposes of God and they're in complete alignment with God's, what God's going to accomplish through David and eventually through the son of David as he reigns over the earth. Like Jonathan is a guy who, who thinks well and whose emotions are focused on what the Lord wants to focus on. He loves David as himself. You know, it's this amazing picture of Jonathan's foresight into something that, uh, that I, I don't even know how he knows all this, but it's true. Because the house of David, one day the king came in the city of David. His name was Jesus. His, his enemies are going to be cut off from the face of the earth. He's going to reign over the whole earth. And God's loving kindness and his covenant faithfulness is expressed through him. But we're called to love him like we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength, right? So Jonathan's doing in this picture of his love for David. You know, we affirm all those things, but I guess the question I have for us is like, we affirm all of that as a Christian. If you're a Christian, you might not even know all the details of that, but that's what you affirm. That Jesus was born the son of David to fulfill all the promises that were made to David. He's going to reign over the earth, and he's the one that God's covenant faithfulness comes to, um, comes through to us. And yet, my question is: is like, how well aligned is our mind and our emotions with what God is accomplishing through Jesus Christ? Like Jonathan was completely aligned. 
He was completely focused. He was willing to give up everything that the world said was dear for the sake of what God was doing through David, even though it was just like hadn't come to fulfillment yet. Jonathan lived this completely focused life of like mind and heart on the will of God. It was not transactional at all. Like he loved David as he loved himself. There are some questions we probably need to ask ourselves. Like if, if, if we're misaligned, like what are some of those things that we're going to have to give up if we're going to align ourselves with God's purposes in Jesus Christ? What are some of those things that we're going to have to value less if we're going to align ourselves with his purpose in Jesus Christ? Jonathan was clearly willing to give it all up because as, it, as this plays out, up to this, up to this point, it's all been talk, right? Everybody's making promises. Saul made promises. David made promises. Jonathan made promises. Everybody's making vows. But for Jonathan, like his, his word actually meant something. And he's actually going to follow through on what he said. Let me just like make a little detour. It's Father's Day. And as a father, uh, like, I think every father here can testify to this. If not, come talk to me after the service because I want to meet you. Like, we are imperfect people, and we execute imperfect fatherhood, right? Anybody agree with me on that? Less than watch Survivor. Um, so, <laughs> and yet, and, and, there's, and there's, like, a range of, like, struggles that we might have with our earthly fathers and young people here today you know what the reality is? Is that Jonathan was the son of a liar who hated, like, God. And everything in Jonathan's life, like, he's, I think he's one of the only, like, men in the book of 1 Samuel who, who completely emerges out of 1 Samuel, like, unscathed with scandal. There's a lot of ladies, like Hannah and other people that do, but Jonathan's one of the only men that does. You don't have to be like your father if you've had a really crappy father. But, I mean, this is my experience, is that, is that the, the path to like live a life differently than that is only going to be found in following Jesus. That's what Jonathan was doing, right? He's all in, heart and mind, on what God was doing through the house of David. And he was unlike his father in every way. So if you want to be different it's only going to be through following Jesus because there is this amazing kind of reality that, that when, we, when we try to make it on our own, we just end up in the very place we don't want to end up. So young or old, it's never too late to follow Jesus. You know, my, uh, like most of you, a lot of you knew my, my father and like, and my, my, there was two different versions of my father. There was like this pre-cancer version of my father and there was this post-cancer. My mom got cancer when I was in college. There was this post-cancer version of my father and they were different people completely. And most of you know the post-cancer version of my father because during my mom's cancer, who, she was supposed to die from it. Like God like really got a hold of my dad's heart and he was a different person than he was before. And it's never too late. It's never too late to, to begin to follow Jesus and see him redeem your life and turn it into something good. We saw last week that Saul just turned away like opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and ended up in like the sub-basement. And guess what? Good news is there's still down for Saul to go. Like he can still, he's going to sink lower in this text. He's even gonna, and when we come back to 1 Samuel, he's going to sink even lower. 
but he, he just never repents and he never turns and he never begins to follow God's plan through the house of David. So we see this play out in this faithful friendship in verses 18 through 41. Um, and so what, so what, what happens in verses 18 through 23, uh, and I'm just going to kind of summarize it here, is that Jonathan comes up with this plan. And the plan is this, is that David, three days from now, at when the party's over, you go hide yourself in the field. And I'm going to bring my servant boy out, and we're going to shoot some arrows. I'm going to shoot three arrows. And then I'm going to send my servant boy out to collect those arrows. And when he goes and collects the arrows, if you're supposed to run away, I'm going to say, hey, aren't the arrows beyond you? Right? I'm going to send him further away, which means I'm sending you away, David. Or if, like, it's safe for you to come back, I'm going to tell the servant boy, yell to the servant boy, hey, come on back. I think they're closer here to let you know that it's safe for you to come. That's, that, that's explained for us there, and there's this, this vivid detail about it. I think the, I don't, I, I don't know, like I think the author wants us to kind of put ourselves in this situation, but it probably there's this tension in the building too. Like, is Jonathan going to keep his word or not? Because he's the son of a liar. Maybe Jonathan is eventually going to turn. We don't know. But in 18 through 23, he lays out that plan. And then in verse 24, I'll pick up reading there. It says, oh, but before that, in verse 23, he says this. He says, as for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. Like Jonathan just once again, like comforts David, like David, like it's my commitment to the Lord and my word before the Lord that keeps us knit together. You don't have to worry. Then it begins to play out. Verse 24, so David hid hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food, and the king sat on his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Anybody that's been in law enforcement or the military understands what's going on there. Um, I used to work at a jail, and it was like years where like anybody, anytime there was somebody like sitting or walking behind me, like start to twitch, you know, anybody else know what I'm talking about? Eric was in jail for a different reason, but (laughs) the... uh, Sorry. Yeah, he was the guy behind me. He still is. So was, <laughs> in case I'm distracted, you know why. Um, you, can, you can sense Saul's paranoia. Like it specifically says his back's up against the wall, right? So nobody can sneak up behind him is the idea. And the king sat with his seat, as usual, seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat down by Saul's side. Abner was the commander-in-chief of the armies, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day, for he thought, it is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he's not clean. And it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan then answered Saul. David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go, since our family has a sacrifice in the city and And my brother has commanded me to attend. And now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me get away that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. So it sounds like Jonathan's like playing out the plan. But what actually happens is Jonathan says more than what they agreed to say. And as he's saying it, he actually makes a a little verbal slip that's easy to miss. He actually says, uh, and in the English, it says that he asked for permission to get away. It's like the same word that could be translated escape. 
So it's like Jonathan maybe was already suspecting like the truth of the situation. And he, you know, everybody been in that situation where you're talking, you're probably nervous, you're talking a little bit too much, and then you say something that like tips your hand, right? Oh, I didn't mean get away. I meant vacation, right? Verse 30, then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send him and bring him to me, for he must surely die. Happy Father's Day, right? In case you're confused, this is not one of the examples in the Bible you want to follow on Father's Day. Because what does Saul immediately do? He immediately like, distanced himself from any sort of responsibility. And who does he blame? Jonathan's mom, right? You son of an evil and perverse woman. Well, most of you are old enough to understand this. Like, it takes two to tango, right? Father and mother tends to make children. And so there's two parts to the equation, and what, we don't know anything about Jonathan's mom, but we do know something about Jonathan's dad. And who's the perverse and evil one? It's Saul himself, right? He just steps, he, he steps aside from any responsibility and begins to blame other people. And that's what he does. He blames the shame on their family, on Jonathan. It's there in verse, at the end of verse 30. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Like, Jonathan, you are going to bring shame on our family by allying with David and seeing his kingdom established. And what Saul like, completely forgets is that the shame that's come upon their house has come upon their house because of his actions. Like, fathers, don't like, underestimate your influence in your family. It's, it's Saul's disobedience that caused the kingdom to be taken from him. And he refuses to like, like come to grips with the shame of that and be honest about it. And he blames Jonathan instead. And then lastly, he says something true. Verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now, send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. He's like, Jonathan, as long as David's alive, you're king, you'll never be king. So he actually commands Jonathan to bring David to him so that he can be executed. Let me just... Like, Saul's words are so true. Jesus said what? Like, you can't serve two masters? Either you'll love the one or hate the other? Or you'll hate the one and cling to the other? Like, don't think that you can live as sovereign on, the own, on your own throne and let Jesus, the son of David, like, sit on his throne at the same time. You either have to give up yours, like Jonathan did, or cling to yours, like Saul did, and your life will be changed forever based on how you decide that. So he commands Jonathan to, to bring David to him. And then Jonathan speaks truth. Verse, verse 32. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? It's an innocent question, seeking justice. Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. That's the understatement of the century, right? <laughs> 
Saul, like in his rage, doesn't just turn against David in the same way he turns against his own son and he tries to kill his own son. He sinks even further. Verse 34, then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Like Jonathan's make, made his choices, right? And his, his commitment to the truth and righteousness in the son of David has put him at odds with his own father. He's willing to lay down his claim to the throne. He's willing to lay down everything so that he could be aligned with God's purposes in David. So here we have it play out then. Verse 35. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field for the appointment with David, and a little lad was with him. And he said to the lad, Run, and now find the arrows which I'm about to shoot. And as the lad was running, he shot an arrow past him. I just noticed that. I didn't, that, I didn't notice that in my study. The dude's running down the range as he's shooting. <laughs> so, <laughs> good thing Jonathan's a good shot. Um, and he said to this lad, Run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot. And the lad was running, and he shot an arrow past him. And when the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the lad and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? And Jonathan called after the lad, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. And the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, Go bring them to the city. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together, but David more. And Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed, while Jonathan went into the city. It's this tragic, like, sad ending to this story. So Jonathan's faithful all the way to the end to David. He, he sends the message to, to David that he's got to go, and he's got to go quickly. He sends, the, like the, he sends the, guy, the kid that was with him back into the city so that he can have this conversation with David, which I think they had only had one more conversation the rest of their life. And they're weeping. You see David's like humility that he bows to Jonathan. He's the prince, and so David's not taking anything upon himself like out of God's timing. He bows before Jonathan. They're weeping. They kiss. Like there is this deep affection between these two men. And then Jonathan says, the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. This is what what we've sworn to. Like Jonathan is committed to his word and the covenant that he's entered into with David. That's that. Like what they've said and their and their commitment to what they say like pervades this whole story. And it's gonna change the outcome of like the entire world. Because like covenant faithfulness caused like God's like blessing to come to all. You know, there's there's things you can learn about friendship in this. In fact, in fact, as I'm as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about Psalm 15. Psalm 15 is this interesting psalm, and it says this. It says, Who can 
Oh, Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Like, the, the psalm is saying, like, who are the kind of people that can go serve the Lord, that can worship before the Lord, that are at home in, like, the presence of the assembly of God's people? That's the question. And he, and he answers this. He who walks blamelessly does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fears the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put his money out at interest, who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall not be moved. But go back to the previous slide. I mean, Jonathan perfectly embodies all of those things. He walks blamelessly. He does what's right. He stands for the truth. He doesn't slander with his tongue. He doesn't do evil to his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach against his friend, even though there was a hundred reasons why he should have, have like been against David. He's angry at his father when his father like acts in dishonor. And he honors those who fears the Lord. And he swore to his own hurt and does not change. What that means is that he kept his word even when it cost him. Jonathan is this picture of like somebody that would be at home in the assembly of God's people in the presence of the Lord. And he should be, he should be an example to all of us of how we should conduct ourselves towards each other. All of the things in this psalm have to do with our relationship with each other. You know, not even primarily with our relationship to the Lord. But more than that, Jonathan, like we see this story come out because of the faithfulness of like Jonathan to his word and the faithfulness of his covenant. But like Jonathan is just a picture of like God and his faithfulness to us. Like in Hebrews chapter six, like you don't need to turn there. I've, I've got this, uh, I've got it up on the screen. It says this. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater. So what's happening in this story is that everybody swore by who? By the Lord. I swear by the Lord. I'm swearing by the Lord. I'm swearing by the Lord. So help me God, right? God's like, so help me me, right? He swore by himself because there was nobody greater than him. He's, he's saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply, and so, multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. Now listen. In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. What he's saying is God's purpose to bless all of us in the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, is one thing. And his word that he's given swearing to it is another thing. And those two things, which cannot change because God cannot lie, should give us strong encouragement, just like it did for David. Like David should have been comforted knowing like Jonathan is good to his word. And guess what? Like the God that we worship, he has a purpose that can't be thwarted. He has a word that can never be broken because he cannot lie. Then he says this, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, 
a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us. That's a really complicated kind of Old Testament picture. But speaking about the veil in the temple, at, at the moment that Jesus died, that veil was ripped in two from top to bottom, it tells us in the Gospels, symbolizing the way that the, the way back into the presence of God is now made available to us through the death of Jesus Christ. He swore to it. He purposed it. And he sealed it with his own blood. He's a God of covenant. He's a God who makes promises to his people and always comes through and delivers. Brian, if you could come up and the rest of the team. And, and it's in the son of David, Jesus Christ, that God's covenant faithfulness and life and blessing are going to come. You know, I wanted to end with the Lord's Supper because um, Jesus says that this cup is a new covenant in his blood. Like he seals the covenant promises for us in his blood. He, he's promised that anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, that he'll see them through to the end. That's why, we, that's why it says in Hebrews, it is an anchor of the soul. It's a hope that is sure and steadfast. So whatever you're facing today, it could be like a crazy situation like David. It could be something less. But know this, like in Jesus Christ, like God's promises to you are rock solid and true because he's sworn to them, he's purposed them, and he's sealed them in his blood. So as, as Brian's playing, like just come forward, get the communion elements, return to your seat, and then I'll read us a couple more things out of Hebrews as we, as we take together. Back in chapter 9, verse 13, he says this. He says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Body of Christ, the blood of Christ. And as we close this morning, let me just close with this in chapter 10, verse 19. So therefore, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he endure us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart. And full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. But God's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his purpose. He's faithful to his covenant. He set us free. So let's like hold fast and follow him. Let me close in prayer. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for being a God who never lies, um, who swears to his own hurt and doesn't change, who doesn't take up a reproach against us, who does no evil to us, and who like gave himself up so that we could like come before you and we could be forgiven. And, and so I just ask that you would help us to do those things, to hold fast, to, to um, draw near to you, to um, encourage one another um, all the more as we see the day drawing near. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.